We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Philippians chapter 3. Philippi was a Roman colony. Uh, A lot of this book is practical speaking about different things in our lives. And I want to talk to you tonight about the danger of arrival. The danger of arrival. Is it possible for us to have blind spots about ourselves? Can we have something that we do or we say or we act like? And it really probably is annoying to everybody on the earth except us. Sometimes we have blind spots. We don't see ourselves and some of the need that we have. Revelation three seventeen in one of those letters to the churches, the Lord through the apostle John wrote to one of those churches, because you say I am rich and have need of nothing. That's what they thought about themselves. And the, the letter goes on to say, and you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Do you think they had a blind spot in that church? We are wealthy. We are in good shape. We don't need anything. And God said, no, you're blind, you're, you're poor, you're naked, you are without everything, and you just don't even realize it. Sometimes in the ministry, some of the hard things that we as pastors or counselors have to do is to privately take someone aside. And I remember I had to do that not too long ago with a man that I cared about greatly, but he's doing something that just was not wholesome. It was not building people up. And he did it over and over and over again. And he thought it was funny, but it actually it was very discouraging. And, and I just took him aside and I said, do you understand? Well, of course he didn't. He didn't think that that's what was happening, but after we shared about that, he, he took it very, very well, and I'm, I'm very grateful. All, uh, that's not always the way it is. Sometimes you may have to confront someone, and they don't uh, take to that very kindly. But it's a wonderful thing when a few days or a few weeks later, they come walking up to you and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. And that's something about God. God loves us enough to not leave us the way we are. Aren't you glad? The danger of arrival. They didn't realize their situation. They didn't know that they were in need. You remember the rich man Jesus talked about. He had so much wealth and he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns to put all my stuff in. I was thinking about uh, driving through the city the other day. And we in America are very, very blessed with so much. But one of the biggest uh, business ventures in our country is all these storage buildings. You can get storage buildings for air-conditioned, and you can get them for everything. And isn't that that an indictment sometimes upon us as a country, that we have so much stuff we have bought, we can't even keep it in our house. we got to find and build other buildings to go rent and pay for to put our stuff just to sit there. And so sometimes we can have blind spots. I was driving down the road several years ago and one of the Christian radio stations said, we're about to hear a lesson on the 23rd Psalm. Now, what I'm about to reveal to you is gonna just be open and honest and transparent. I would never have said this out loud to anyone. But I remember thinking the 23rd Psalm, I know that one. I memorized it when I was eight. I can diagram the sentences. I can tell you the Hebrew words I can uh, give you the concepts that are found in Psalm 23. And I almost checked out. You know what I mean? When you can listen, but you don't listen very well. I almost thought it's going to be so common. I'm so familiar with that passage, the 23rd Psalm. 
probably one of the most famous passages in all the world along with the verse uh, John 3:16 in the Lord's prayer and I almost did exactly what I'm warning us all to not do tonight I almost thought I had arrived well Tony Evans I love listening to him he is funny uh, how many of you before you ever saw Tony Evans thought he was mad all the time he has this voice that just comes out and, and this and this and this. And then and I saw him and he's smiling the whole time he's talking. And he's not mad at all. Very effective pastor and very effective communicator. I think our country needs to listen to him quite a bit more with, about race relations. And I think we'd do a lot better. But you know what happened? As I'm driving down the road, 23rd Psalm comes on. I'm thinking, boy, I know this one. God uses Tony Evans to open up the 23rd Psalm like I've never heard it before. Kind of like what happens every Sunday morning when Tommy opens the scripture. I didn't know that was in there. I've never heard it taught that way. And as I got through listening to that lesson, and guys, I've, I've studied it for 53 years. But when I got through listening, I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I pray that I'll never do that again because I was tempted to think that I knew and because I knew I had somehow arrived and I didn't need to study that passage anymore. Guilty. John six sixty three. Jesus said, these words that I've spoken unto you are spirit and life. He didn't say they're a history book, a math book, a science book, and you need to study them. And once you've studied them, you've got it. These words of the Bible are alive. They are quick, one version says, they're powerful. And I don't care how many times you've read the 23rd Psalms or I've read it. And I don't care how many times you've studied a passage. God's word is infinite. It is a deep well of wisdom. And we need to read it. Not because we're trying to just get knowledge. I talked with a man not long ago who came to a men's conference last year, I believe. And he said, I didn't know we're supposed to read the Bible every day. I read it once. And he was being open and honest and serious. And, and he started reading his Bible and God was blessing him because this is food. How often do we eat? When Jared said pizza a while ago, how many of you are thinking, how long is he going to be tonight? I sure am hungry already. You know how you can get a pastor to stop talking, can't you? Just pop a little bit of fried chicken smell through the air conditioning vents and it'll shorten the sermon every time. Did you know that? John 6, 63 says these words I've spoken are spirit and life. They're alive. And so I don't approach the scripture anymore the way I did that day driving down the road. Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's a great thing to have spiritual ambition. You want to get after it. You want to do good things. But oftentimes in the scripture, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some of those legalists in the book of Galatians, they were, they were very zealous about what they were doing, but they were misguided and misdirected. That's why we got to know the Bible. Because it's not just important. Someone asked me one time, what about those people that knock on my door and want to give me a, a magazine? I said, don't, don't take it. That is a cult. You don't need to be listening to that. But they're so sincere. I want to tell you something. Satan is sincere about your soul. He wants you to be against God no matter what. He's very serious about it. 
So just because someone's sincere, it doesn't mean they're right. They can be sincerely wrong. Now, Paul is going to be speaking to a, a church there at Philippi. These people know the Bible. And that's one of the reasons why as we begin that new series on the Sermon on the Mount, you may have done what I just told you I did. I know it. I've already heard it. I've heard it. I've studied it. I have diagrammed the sentences. I know the Sermon on the Mount. Be careful of doing that same thing that I did, that you've arrived. You've gotten to a place that you don't need it anymore. Did you know that we as a Christian never graduate until we go to heaven? We never don't need, uh, never get to a place where we don't need a mentor. When I came to church here, I was uh, 48 years old and I looked for a mentor and I found a mentor 25 years older than me. He's still my mentor today. We never get to a place that we don't need others. And Paul's gonna write back to this church. He's writing back to many of them who are Christians that have been Jews He's writing back to uh, warn them, no Christian is an island. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Some people say, well, I don't want to go to seminary and I don't want to have to go to church every Sunday and I don't want to do this. I'll just worship God in my own way out in the country. I would hate to be out in the country on the Lord's day when Jesus came looking for me in his house. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, he said, forsake not your the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, the church may be in the country, but gather together with God's people. Look with me there in Philippians chapter three. In the, this uh, very first word says, finally, finally. I read this, this week about someone. How many of you go to a church where the pastor says seven different times? In closing, well, Paul is about to close the letter almost, because he had some other good things to say. But think about that. When somebody's about to end their life, whatever they say is probably very important. They want to get something across. And Paul is going to say some important things here in the last part of this book. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, that's written just for me. Mike, I'm going to tell you something you've already heard before. I'm going to teach you the 23rd Psalm. George Whitfield, one of the prince of preachers uh, that he's known for, very gifted uh, expositor from, from the past. He went to a place and he spoke five messages in a row on being born again. And the people came to him after the fifth one and they said, uh, Pastor Everything's been great. These five messages have been really good. But when are you going to preach on something else? And he says, when you get it, I'll preach something else. So sometimes we need to hear some things. And Paul is telling this, this church at Philippi, you need to hear something again. Don't check out. Don't say, I already know that. I've already heard it. If God through the Holy Spirit is moving Paul to write that as part of the scripture, they need to hear it again. How many of you are parents and you've told your children over and over and over again? And you just think, how can a human, even though they're a little human, not get it? I've told them all their lives. And then we as children, we think about, are my parents going to tell me that again? Uh, our kids are 31 years old and 27 about. And I can start one of my speeches 
They were speeches all our life. Uh, but I can start one of them and I say, you know, and they just go, oh no, here we go again. And they can finish the speeches because I've said them so many times. They can just take right up and, and right now we're having such a fun time because my kids are grown and they don't mind uh, telling me, you know, what they think uh, pretty much. And it's really kind of a cool time. I need to hear it again. I need to hear it often. And I need to be careful that I never think I don't need to hear it again. The danger of arrival. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. Paul said, I'm going to repeat myself. Have you ever known a preacher repeat themselves? My wife used to sit in one of the, the back row of one of the classes that I taught on Sunday mornings, and she'd do this. That's the third time you've told that joke. That's the fourth time you've used that illustration. The real bad thing in that class was I had one Sunday morning years ago, I'd said, you know, I saw something on YouTube that a pastor who always is used to uh, using his wife and his children as illustrations, that in his church, someone said, every time you mention your wife's name, you need to give her $5. I made a mistake of saying that in the class. Because a man took it upon himself as his life work to count every time I mention Holly's name. She's wealthy today. I'm broke, but she is wealthy. Because I, every time I said Holly and he would raise his hand, there's another one. And Holly's just loving it. Paul is saying, I'm going to write something again to you. I'm going to repeat myself. And Paul says, I don't mind doing that. But did you see what else he said? I don't mind writing the same thing. It's no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. It's safe for you to hear it again. And that's what I want to share with you as we go into the, to the uh, Sermon on the Mount starting next week, several week series. Please don't check out. Please don't think I already know this. Come with expectancy. What is God going to speak to us through this passage? He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision. That's kind of strange language. Concision is something that, that divides and hurts and tears apart. And he describes it uh, as, as like a dog. Have you ever been around a mean dog before? I don't have any patience for a mean dog. My, my niece one time when she was a little girl got bit real badly by a dog. She's still got a scar right here on her face. Now, dogs can be the most loving pets that we ever can have. But a mean dog is a mean dog, and they're dangerous. And Paul says, you know the people that go into churches and cause trouble? They're dogs. They're just like a mean dog. And he said, but we're not of those people. We're the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory He says, we're not going to be like those that come into a church and cause trouble. There's always that, no matter what church you've ever been in. I've been in several churches in my lifetime, and there are people that hop from one church to another. A long time ago, we had what was called church letters, a letter of transfer. If you came from one church and you went to another church, the church where you left, you went to the elders and talked to them and said, this is why we're leaving. We got a new job. We moved, or I don't like you anymore. And you told them, you didn't just sneak out in the middle of the night and leave a church. 
then that church would send a letter ahead. Hey, Mike, get ready. There's somebody coming to Denton Bible. They are great Christians. You're going to love them. We gladly send them on their way and we pray for them to be used greatly in the ministry. That's the kind of letter you want to have sent ahead. What kind of letter do you think was sent ahead sometimes? Hey, Mike, Denton Bible Church, be careful. These people caused a lot of trouble in our church. And he says they're like dogs, biting dogs. Um, and I guarantee you that's uh, a good description of people who harm the church. And he said, we're those who worship the, in, in the spirit and glory uh, in what God has done. We, we don't glory in uh, ourselves. We glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When we watch athletics on television, is there anybody that brags a little bit? Do you think? Anybody that brags a little bit? I'm always amazed. You can be, they could be getting beat 52 to nothing and they make a tackle. Ah, I'm number one. I'm one. You know, look at me. Turn the camera on me. You're getting beat 52 to nothing. There's not much to brag about. But if we're not careful, we all do that some. We all want to be important. We all want to have confidence in our flesh. And Paul said, we're not going to be like that. We're going to have confidence not in our flesh. And then Paul's going to give his resume. There's going to be seven qualifications I want to read you quickly that he gave that showed that Paul was the elite when it came to knowing God and knowing the things about God. It would be like what we say here today, an all-American girl or all-American boy. They've got credentials. They've got a great resume Here's his resume. He said, although I might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to be put confidence in the flesh, I far more. If you think that you can brag about something you've done, Paul said, uh, in the ways of God, I'm about to show you I could brag more because I've done more than you. Notice what he says. Circumcised the eighth day. That means his parents kept the law. He had parents that were faithful Jews. You may be sitting in the chairs here tonight and you had faithful Christian parents. You praise God for them. Would you thank the Lord before you leave here tonight? Thank you for my mom and dad. You may not have a parent that, that walked in the door of a church. You still can be the finest believer that there is. But Paul says here, my, I was circumcised the eighth day like a Jew was commanded to be. His parents were faithful of the nation of Israel, that's God's chosen people. God chose the nation of Israel above all the other nations. Now he chooses people of every nation to join into his church and to be saved. But never speak against the Jews. Don't make fun. Don't use that in a slang term uh, like dealing with somebody and get a good deal. Don't use that because God said, I raised up the Jews. Because they were better than everybody else? No. Because they were smarter than everybody else? No. God said, I didn't choose you because you were the biggest nation on the earth or the greatest number of people. I chose you because I chose you. It's all because God's choosing and not anything they've done. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I'm a true Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. It's important to know Benjamin was a faithful tribe. Oftentimes they were faithful to God when other tribes were not. A Hebrew of Hebrews. And what that means is that Paul's saying, I'm not just a Jew, but I'm an Aramaic-speaking Hebrew that was born of Hebrew parents. I mean, he was, he had all the credentials. He spoke the right language. He was raised by the right parents. 
He has everything according to the flesh to show on his resume. If you want to brag about something, I'm going to brag more than you. He goes on, he says, as to the law, a Pharisee. That was the most the strict uh, people handling the Old Testament that there were, the Pharisees. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul said, nobody persecuted like me because when I heard about this new thing called the way, Acts calls it the way, this new sect of the Galilean, I made it my life's ambition to lock those people up in jail and to even kill them. Someone asked one time, I taught on the, the life of Stephen, the first church uh, martyr in the book of Acts. And Stephen is stoned to death for doing what I'm doing here tonight, just preaching the gospel. And the Bible says he looked up toward heaven and he saw Jesus there sitting at the, or standing at the right hand of God. That's very important. He was standing. Where did Jesus go? He, he went to sit at the right hand of the Father, but something's happening because he stood up. You know what I think he's doing? I think he's standing up because one of his guys is about to be killed for the faith. And I believe Jesus is doing this. Well done. Well done, Stephen. He, cried, he saw uh, a view of heaven, and right before he died, he said, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. That sound like anybody we know? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he died. And the Bible says they took his clothes and laid them down at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's who's writing this book. He was bound and determined to lock these people up in prison and he was given hearty approval for them to be executed and killed. And you know what happened. Saul walking on the road to Damascus was blinded by a great light. He heard Jesus talking to him. He gets saved and God uses him to write 13 or maybe 14 books out of the New Testament. Uh, and God uses him as a missionary and a great preacher to the Gentiles. God can save anybody, can he? So he's saying here, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I was active in what I thought was godly. And as to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. If you would have seen Saul at that time, you could not accuse him. You broke the law. You broke the law. You broke the law. You're doing wrong. You're living wrong. He said, you couldn't have done that. What he did was just gave his resume as one of the best Jews. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the leading teachers of the law. Paul's saying, if you want to brag, I can brag more than all of you. Now, if it would have stopped right there, we'd think he's just kind of proud, isn't he? But notice what else he says. But, Philippians 3, 7, my good friend Mitz that calls that a holy but. That is when God is allowing something to be said and then he's gonna show the change that he makes. How many of us were dead in our sins? All of us. We were lost. But God, who commends his love toward us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God. Well, Mike, you don't know where I've been, what I've done. I was here, 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 and I did this and this and this. And But God. When people give their testimonies, I can't wait till that point. They can tell me all they've done before and I don't really want to hear too much about all the bad of the past, but I can't wait till they get to, but God, 
delivered me from that. He changed me. I don't talk like that anymore. I don't live there anymore. But God. And Paul is about to say that. But what you know what Paul could have done? With all those uh, credentials that he had, he could have said, I've arrived. I've already made it. I'm better than you guys anyway. I know more than you do. I've been educated more highly than you are. I don't need anyone else to tell me what the law says. I'm more zealous than everybody else. My parents were good. I'm good. And Paul could literally have said, I've arrived. I don't need anyone else to teach me or show me anything. But he said, but, in Philippians 2, uh, 3, verse 7. And look at these words. You're probably very familiar with them. Read them again. It's safe for you and me to read them again, and it was safe for Paul to write them again. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. If you ever had an accounting class in school, you know about debits and credits. Uh, in my personal life, I've known a lot about debits. I don't know about you. <laughs> but what God is saying here, Paul says, the things that I counted as something great, I'm going to tell you the debits and credits have changed. And now I want to tell you of something that I don't count so important anymore, but something else has risen to the top. The debits and the credits have switched places. Those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's got a new focus, a new ambition, a new goal. More than that, I count all things to be in loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He just said, I was smarter than you. My parents were probably more faithful than you. I was more faithful. I know more. I've done more. But I want to tell you that is worthless. I have not arrived. I've not got it all done and accomplished and I don't need anything. Excuse me, Paul says all those things that I counted real highly before, I count them as loss. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. I don't know what version of the scripture you have tonight uh, with you, but one version says dung. You know what that is? That's the little stuff that those little beetles roll around in a ball and push around all over the ground. That is manure, common barnyard manure. Paul said, all my education, all my accomplishments, all my citations, all my trophies, all those things that I could brag about, I want to tell you I count it like manure. Because something else has changed places. The debits and credits have switched and something's more valuable to me than all those other things. He says, I count it but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived by the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And look at this, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm praying for Galen. Galen is my brother and I love him. But he knows part of the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ in a more full way than he did a few months ago. Paul said, I would rather have the fellowship of Christ's sufferings than all these other things I've accomplished. Being conformed to his death, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
in order that I might attain. Uh-oh, there you're going to say that Paul said, I have attained, I have arrived, I've got it. Look closely. In order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained. Paul said, I have not arrived. Tommy Nelson has not arrived. The smartest and most intelligent scientist, theologian, mathematician, medical person, no matter who it is, they've never arrived to where they still don't need what God can give them. Not that I've already obtained. And if anybody could have said they attained, Paul could have. Or have already become perfect. Paul didn't say, I'm finished. I've arrived. But I, and I love this, I'm challenged by this all the time in my life, but I press on. I know people that end uh, their emails before they put their signature. Press on. Press on. That single mother that takes care of little children on her own, press on. That person in the hospital that's sick and suffering, that person that's lost their job and they don't know where the income's gonna come to feed their family, press on. That person that's lost a loved one or a spouse and you don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold and the new normal is for you, press on. Paul said, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I love that because Paul says, I'm holding on to him, but really what's more important is he's holding on to me. I'll just, I tell you all the time about a little grandson, but we got to keep him uh, this week. And oh, he, he talks in his own language right now. But he can say Papa, and every time he says Papa, I just say, what do you want? I'll just give you whatever you want. But he always put his hand up for me to grab my finger because he wanted to take me somewhere. He wanted to take me in the other room. He wanted to take me to the window to look outside of the cars and trucks. He wanted to take me to see the cats outside. But every time he raised his hand like that, he wanted me to grab hold of his hand, and he wanted to take me somewhere. Well, Paul's saying, I want to hold on to Jesus but I tell you what, he's the one that's really holding on to me. He didn't say, I've attained. I got a good grasp of Jesus. He said, if he's not holding on to me, I'm not going to get held. They were bragging in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, about who they listened to. Some of them said, I listen to Peter. Peter's my pastor. Some of them said, have you heard Apollos? Paulus is this great speaker. He's the one I'm going to listen to. I'm going to go to his sermon, his class. He's the one I want to listen to. Have you heard Peter? Oh, Peter, just oh, he's the greatest. I'm going to follow him. And when Paul heard about that, he said, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who's Cephas? Who's Peter? And when he could have said, we've arrived, we're apostles, he said, we're nothing. Jesus is everything. God's the one who gives the increase. And that's why Paul is talking about, I haven't arrived. Don't be following me. We need to follow Christ. I press on. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, that doesn't mean you forget the things you need to remember. 
I'm going to forget where I live, what lies behind me. No, that's not what he's saying. You need to forget what's need, what needs forgetting. Don't live in the past. I struggle with that all the time. But Lord, I know what they went through and, and can I help them and do these kind of things? And that's a good heart to be willing to do that. But we can't live in the past. Where are we going today? What are we going to do today? One thing I do, he said, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Mark 13, 13 said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. I had a friend who was running in, in our uh, track meet when we were in school and he fell down. He, he ran to the corner, his, his track cleats uh, slipped out from under him and we had kind of cinder tracks back then, scarred his legs up and everything. And I thought, oh no, because he was one of the fastest people I knew. Well, he got up and won the race because he pressed on. He didn't give up. He had adversity, he, got, he fell, but he got up and he continued to the end. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the target. He's the goal. Paul's saying, I'm gonna tell you, I've not arrived. I'm writing these things to you again to tell you I haven't gotten to a place where I don't need to tell you these things again and I don't need to hear them again. It's good for me to write them and it's safe for you to hear them again. So be careful. Some of you may not struggle with that, but be careful. We're sitting in a Bible church that a lot of folks in this, uh, this place know God's word and know it very, very well. We have a huge temptation to say I've arrived. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. If anyone could have bragged, Paul could have said, I've got there, but he said, I didn't. I've not already attained. I'm not through yet. God's not through with me yet. I want to tell you one story as I, as I close tonight. There was a lady, he, she and her husband were business owners in the town that I, I lived in uh, my growing up years. And we were in a restaurant eating lunch. And I remember her saying these exact words. <laughs> There's a new preacher in town. And he came and asked if he uh, could come and visit our house like we need a visit from a preacher. And guys, that's the way she said it. <laughs> this new young preacher thought that we needed a visit from the preacher. She had a major stroke later in her life. And I would go visit people in the hospital, take them a little flower, pray with them, whatever. And I walked in, and there she was. And the first thing I could think about was hearing her that day. <laughs> I don't need a visit from a preacher. But I want to tell you, when I looked in her eyes, she couldn't speak anymore. And I called her by name, and I said, how are you? I want to check uh, on how you're doing. I want to pray for you. Is there anything I could do for you? She grabbed a pen and, and a piece of paper, and she started writing her mind was as fresh as could be, but she could not communicate anymore. And that started a several-month process when I would go back and sit down with her. And, Vonnie, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, those people? And she would write those things out. I'd ask her a question. She'd write the answer. She'd ask me a question. And I was just amazed that after that major stroke, she appreciated a visit from a pastor. Before, she's just like I was driving down that road. I, I know the 23rd Psalm, I've arrived. But when that stroke hit her, and until her dying day, and until I got to share in her funeral service, she was so glad 
to get a visit from a preacher. So I just want to encourage you. Do what Paul said. Encourage me to do the same. Press on. Don't give up. Don't check the box and say, I know that, I know that, I've done this, I've done that. You keep on keeping on. Press on. Don't ever get to the point and say, I've arrived. The danger of arrival. I know the scripture. I've read the Bible. And I'm good to go. I talked with a man one time years ago. And I said, are you saved? He said, I got that done a long time ago. Like it's something you order from uh, the store. It comes in and you've already got it done. Instead of a day-by-day relationship growing in Christ and walking closer with him. So Paul said, I'm going to tell you something I've told you before. And it's not any trouble for me to repeat it. And you need to hear it again. I'm so glad he did. Because I needed to hear it again. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this passage, and I pray, oh, I thank you for just showing me how foolish I was, Lord, that day, that no matter how many times I've read a portion of Scripture, studied it, been taught it, preached it, shared it with other people, memorized it, Lord, I still need every one of these words. I need them every day. I've never gotten to a point where I've arrived. I pray, Lord, for me and for anyone else here. If I have blind spots, if anyone here has blind spots that, Lord, they need to know about so they can repent and ask you to help in their life and forgive them and change their life, please show us. I pray, Lord, that as we get ready to go through a walk, a practical walk through the Sermon on the Mount, that we would look at it with fresh eyes. We would read it again and hear it again and ask you to change our lives. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight within the hearing of my voice, whether it's online or in this room, and they're having trouble pressing on because life is pressing them, I pray for supernatural strength and supernatural courage. Would you help them to look up toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus? Lord, would you put their eyes on the target And give them the strength to continue on. Please hear our prayers tonight, Lord. Bless us as we leave. And if there's someone here tonight that's never heard about you or never trusted you, Lord, could they come to know you tonight and have a testimony in their life but God. Let me tell you what he's done. We thank you for hearing our prayer and we thank you for this letter that you wrote through Paul. In Jesus' name, amen.